2 Timothy chapter 4 this morning as we continue our series in the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is Paul's last book. At least it's obviously recorded in scripture. His last words to his young disciple Timothy. And so I want to again just give us sort of the backdrop, the historical background of where this book is coming from, if you're just sort of diving in with us this morning or whatever. So Paul knows that he's getting ready to leave this earth and go to be with Jesus in eternity. And so he's got the emotion of, the, of, of that, in a sense, building in his life. But he also knows that this young pastor, Timothy, is so dear to Paul, and he has such a great close relationship with him that he wants to encourage him uh, because he knows that Timothy's struggling. Timothy is really struggling. He's going through a lot of, of persecution and suffering and just stuff with ministry and with people, and he's about ready to throw in the towel. And so Paul is trying to come along through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to encourage Timothy to sort of stay the course, to finish strong, that one of the things we learned throughout our study of 2 Timothy is it's not as important of how we start the race as how we finish it. And Paul's getting ready to finish his race, and he's finishing well. And, and so he wants to encourage Timothy, Timothy, stay the course, finish well. And so all of 2 Timothy really deals with how do we as Christians finish our life well? How do we stay the course when there's so many distractions and deception and all that out there that Paul's talked about throughout this book? And today, what I think Paul's going to zero in on, each week he's had some different sort of thing that he wanted to emphasize. This week he wants to emphasize to Timothy that really the way to stay the course in the Christian life and to finish well is to live every day with eternity in view. To live every day with eternity in view. In other words, that our values, our priorities, the passion of our heart really isn't about this life and about what we have here, but it's about what is to come. With that uh, said, just follow along with me as I read the first eight verses of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let's listen to God's word from the Apostle Paul. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the message, be ready whether it is convenient or not, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and instruction. For there will be a time when people will not tolerate sound teaching. Instead, following their own desires, they will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things. And they will turn away from hearing the truth. But on the other hand, they will turn aside to miss. You, however, be self-controlled in all things. Endure hardship. Be, uh, do an evangelist work and fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as an offering. And the time for me to depart is at hand. I have competed well. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, the crown of righteousness is reserved for me. The Lord, the righteous judge, will award it to me in that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have set their affection on his appearing. 
Paul says a lot here, but what he's trying to get Timothy to focus on is Timothy. A Christian cannot get caught up in this world. If we are living for this life, if this life and what we can gather from this life is our priority, if this is our value, then we're going to get discouraged real quickly. And we're going to not finish well, and we're going to get off track as a Christian. Because Paul's saying, the way I stayed on track, the way I finished well, was in not focusing on this life. It was focusing on the life to come. We know from Corinthians and other letters of Paul, Paul went through tremendous suffering, tremendous pain, tremendous persecution. He even dealt with a physical infirmity that God told him, I will not heal you of. My grace is sufficient. You're going to keep that physical infirmity throughout your life. And so Paul had this life that he was dealing with. And if Paul would have looked at his life and all that he went through for the cause of Christ, he would have said, I'm done. But Paul said, I'm not focusing on this life. I'm focused on the life to come. I have set my affection on his appearing, Paul says in verse 8. It's similar to what Paul says to the Colossians in Colossians 3, verse 2. He says to set our affection on things above, not things on the earth. Jesus even said to his followers, I want you to learn to lay up treasure in heaven, not treasure on the earth. And it's the ability to be able to look past what's going on presently in our life, in the world, and to look to the world to come. This is the message throughout the Bible, folks. You go to almost any book of the Bible. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Peter says to Christians, set your hope completely, not partially, not a little bit, set your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. In fact, keep your finger there in 2 Timothy before we get into it and just turn over a couple books to the book of Hebrews. To Hebrews chapter 11, there's a Bible character that really illustrates the fact that our affection, our priorities, our values should not be tied up in the things of earth and what happens to us on earth and all that we go through on earth, but we should always be looking towards the life to come. Our lives should be lived always every day as a Christian with eternity in view. If we don't do that, folks, then this life's going to swallow us up. This life's going to discourage us. We're going to start thinking, is it really worth being a Christian with what this life somehow provides for me? That's why I tell Christians all the time, God even said, look, it's not that I'm not going to bless you down here on earth, but I'm reserving my best blessings for eternity. Because if I bless you here, you can't take those blessings with you. That's why Jesus said, lay up treasure in heaven, because the blessings that God has for us there are going to be blessings that will never be separated from and that we will enjoy for all of eternity. So if my focus is on this life as a Christian, it's again going to get very hard. But if I keep my focus on the life to come, and that's what Moses did. Read with me in chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 20, beginning at verse 24. By faith, 
When Moses grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. With obviously all that that positively would have brought with it. Verse 25. Choosing rather to be ill-treated with the people of God than to enjoy sin's fleeting pleasure. How does someone not choose temporary pleasure and choose to be ill-treated? How can one do that? He's going to tell us. Verse 26. He regarded abuse suffered for Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. And may I remind all of us, when Moses was going through this and experiencing this, Egypt was the most powerful nation on the planet at that time and would have been the richest, wealthiest nation in the world. And yet he says this. How could he do that? Verse 26. His eyes were fixed on the reward. And the reward, folks, isn't something that he was going to get here. It was fixed on eternity. It was fixed on the life to come, what he was going to experience for all of eternity. That's how he could turn down being the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's how he could say no to all the wealth and power and influence that Egypt was going to offer him because he wasn't living for this life primarily. He was living for the life to come. He was investing in eternity. He was living with eternity in view. He kept his eyes fixed on the reward. Jesus himself even did this and modeled it for us. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12 that Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. How did Jesus endure the cross? Because he knew what was coming after the cross. He knew that after the cross was resurrection. He knew that after the cross was ascension. He knew that after the cross was once again glorification. He knew what was coming. And that's what God wants us to learn to do. To look past what happens on earth. To look past what's even happening in our lives presently. And to look at the bigger picture. And always be living every day for eternity. And for the values of eternity. Not the priorities and values of this world. With that in mind. That's why back in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul basically calls Timothy to almost like a a courtroom if you will. He's trying to picture and paint for Timothy a courtroom. And he says, Timothy, I'm summoning you into this courtroom. And in this courtroom, there's going to be two others besides you and me. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he says when he says, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus. He's saying, here's how important this is, Timothy, that you get this. Because I'm ready to go into eternity. My departure's at hand. But I'm concerned about you. You're young. You're a young pastor. You're already dealing with stuff. And that stuff in your life and ministry is starting to get the best of you because you're getting your eyes off of what's to come. And you're starting to focus more on what's around you and what's happening around you. And Paul's simply saying, as one getting ready to cross the finish line of life and head into eternity, Timothy, you've got to get your eyes back on the reward like Moses. 
You've got to get your eyes fixed on eternity rather than what's happening in this life. I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge. Literally in the Greek, he's about to judge the living and the dead. In other words, Paul's simply saying too, and Timothy, don't forget that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be the judge, regardless of whether people are alive or dead. In other words, his judgment is all-inclusive. No one's going to escape standing before Jesus Christ. Every human being is going to stand before Jesus Christ. Now, they're either going to stand before him as, in a sense, their judge, forever away from his presence, Or they're going to stand before him to be awarded and rewarded and honored, as Paul talks about in his case and other Christians' case. And don't always look at the word judge in a negative way. The Greek word simply means to separate and to pick out. And so, in judgment sometimes, Jesus is going to reward and award and honor. He's going to give us what is due for the life that we lived. And Paul simply reminding Timothy, Timothy, now and how we live now and how we finish and all that, it counts for eternity. Because the judge, one of the things the Bible teaches us, is going to give us a role and responsibility throughout eternity that is going to be based on how faithful we were in our Christian life here and now. That's why Christians who have the mindset that, well, I'm just thankful that I know Jesus is my Savior and my sins are forgiven and I know I'm on my way to heaven and I'm just sliding for home. And they give, they give no priority, no choice to spiritual growth, to spiritual maturity, to, to you know, living the Christian life and growing in the Christian life. Not understanding that the Bible clearly teaches that what we're going to do throughout eternity the role, the responsibilities that God does reward us and award us is based on our earthly life. Jesus talked about this throughout his ministry. Think of the parables Jesus told about the faithful steward who was faithful in a few things. And Jesus says, because you are faithful in a few things, I will put you over in charge of many things. But it's based on how faithful we are now. And we're going to be giving an account of our Christian life before the judge of the living and the dead. And Paul says, by the way, Timothy, he's appearing. He's coming. His glorious manifestation will be revealed one day. And as the Bible says in books like Hebrews and Revelation, when Jesus comes this time, he's not going to come as that lowly, humble baby born in a manger. This time he comes on a white horse. He comes faithful and true. He comes in full glory. That's how Jesus is going to come. And then he says, oh, by the way, I need to remind you of his kingdom. Verse one. Again, isn't that what it should be all about? Instead of building our kingdom down here on earth, isn't it to be about His kingdom, which is to come, which is why when Jesus taught people even to pray, he says, pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that what the book of Revelation also reminds us of when it says the kingdoms of this world will become one day the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. 
There is no end to his kingdom. There will be an end to every earthly kingdom, and we've seen that throughout history. And there will be an end to these kingdoms that are now in existence during our lifetime. But there is no end to his kingdom. And Paul is simply saying to Timothy, don't you want to focus on his kingdom and on what's to come rather than on these kingdoms that aren't going to last and on the kingdom that you're trying to build somehow rather than, again, investing in eternity? And that's why then Paul says, Timothy, it's so important that you look ahead and keep your eyes focused where it needs to be because if you look around, even in Timothy's day, and it's even much worse today, he says you are going to get discouraged, especially as a pastor who's trying to preach the truth whenever he says there's coming a critical defining moment of history where people are going to, even within the church, shift away from hearing the truth. That's why he tells Timothy in verse 2, Timothy, keep preaching the message. And even though preaching isn't popular today, even though it's more popular even within the church today, to get Christians together and let's just discuss scripture, God has always put a primacy and priority on preaching. In fact, Paul even says in the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, it is the preaching of the cross. Preaching. And even though it might not be popular today, The Bible's message is always to pastors and to Bible teachers, preach God's word. Preach God's life-changing message found only in Jesus Christ. That's the only hope. Then he tells Timothy, Timothy, you've got to always be ready. It means not only always be prepared, it speaks about always being at one's post. It was a military term in Paul's day for a soldier that would always be on post, on duty, never lax in what responsibilities God had given. And then he says, whether it's convenient or not. That's a good message for all of us. And then he tells Timothy, his young pastor, don't be afraid to reprove your people, which simply means bring things to light, Timothy. Don't be afraid to rebuke, if it's from God's word, with, again, though, complete patience and instruction. I'm going to come back to the word exhort at the end, so that's why I left that word go. Verse 3, here's why Timothy needs to stick with preaching the word of God. Because Paul says there will be a time, a critical turning point in history when people will not tolerate sound teaching. Very interestingly, the word tolerate means to listen while others speak. Boy, we see that today. No one wants to listen anymore. Everyone wants to speak. And Paul says that's part of the problem. Everybody wants to talk, but nobody wants to listen. And all of us need, as Christians, to learn to listen to God, to each other. It's so sad, even in the Old Testament, when you hear that people had gotten so far away from God that when God even did try to speak, they didn't even recognize it. Think about the Old Testament priest when Hannah was born. God, is that you? I'm not sure because it's been so long since I've heard your voice. 
Part of why they don't tolerate sound teaching is because we're living in a day and age where people aren't willing to listen anymore. All they want to do is talk. The word sound teaching is an interesting word. It literally means healthy teaching. In fact, it's a word where we get our English word actually hygienic from. It means teaching that promotes people's spiritual health in this context. Because obviously he's going to go on to say, there's going to be a lot of teaching that really doesn't promote people's spiritual health. In fact, he said, instead, here's what people will do. They will, first of all, follow their own desires. It means to seek out those teachers who will tell them what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. That's true for all of us. And they will accumulate teachers for themselves. It literally means that we will be living in a day and age where people will just want to hear from different teachers. And and Christians will have 30 different Bible teachers that they listen to. Now, please hear what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. One of the things that Paul's saying is this. That just because a Bible teacher or pastor has a large crowd and many people listening to them doesn't mean they're biblical. It doesn't mean that they're not biblical either, but it doesn't necessarily mean just because many people are listening to them that that means that they're correct. Go back a couple weeks to the message on how we need to make sure that we are correct in our interpretation and understanding of the word of God. Because if not, Paul says to Timothy, you will blow up your life and you will destroy other people's lives. We've got to get it right. It's not just a matter of knowing the word. It's a matter of getting it right. Because if we don't get it right, it takes us down another path. Paul then also goes on to say, And because they have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things. Is there anything wrong with Genesis to Revelation? See, again, going back to last week's message about Scripture being inspired by God. Literally, God breathed. We forget that the Bible, God himself says, this is sufficient. As newborn babes, you want to grow, then desire the pure milk of the word, because we can't grow apart from the word of God. And too many Christians today want to separate the word of God, the Bible, from their spiritual growth, but the Bible says that can't happen. And they always want to hear something new, rather than really sinking their teeth into and and getting grounded in what God has already said. Something else this phrase also means is that they're all they're looking for many times is relief of symptoms, but never willing to deal with the source of the situation. Wow. Does that not describe our society today in a lot of different areas? They're not really looking to get to the root of the problem and deal with the root of what's going on in their life. They just want relief from the symptoms that are unpleasant. And that's why they continue to bounce around from teacher to teacher to this or that, because they really don't want to change. They want to eventually find somebody that will agree with them so they can say, see, so-and-so says that's right. 
so they can justify where they're at rather than letting the word of God be the final authority in their life and submitting and surrendering to what God has already said. Sorry, you can tell I get a little excited about that. But I see it every day. And for the last 29 years as a pastor, I see the climate even within the church going more and more in the direction that Paul talked about with Timothy, which again is why it's so important for pastors and for all of us not to get caught up in the climate and the unique challenges that that ministry and life is going to present now, but to look past it all to the reward that's coming. Notice he goes on to say, verse 4, they will turn away from the truth. Literally, they will reject the truth. They will abandon the truth. But here's the thing. The way God created us, he created us never to have a vacuum. So if I, if I reject the truth of God, which again, Jesus says, the only way you and I can truly be free is to know the truth. And if we know the truth and embrace the truth, then we can be set free. If a human being rejects the truth of God, then that vacuum is filled with myths, fables, fiction, and fantasy. Not true. And we never then are going to finish well, and we're never going to stay the course as a Christian, because by rejecting the truth of God, we then allow something that's not true to come into our lives and take root, which is exactly what Paul said. Then he says, verse 5, you, however, in contrast to those who are deviating from God's truth, first of all, he says, be self-controlled in all things. The words literally mean to continually be alert and aware about your life and where you're headed and what's going on. Secondly, endure hardship. Paul says, Timothy, I know this may not be what you want to hear, but what you need to hear, especially as a young pastor who's getting ready to throw your towel in and give up, you need to be strong. You can't be weak. You can't be fragile. you got to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's the only way we can endure hardship. And yet again, I see humanity getting weaker and fragile by the moment. Instead of being strong. And then, do the work of an evangelist. In other words, actively be willing to share the gospel. And to be an everyday missionary. And look for those opportunities to share Jesus. The only hope for humanity with others who desperately need to hear the truth. And to know that God loves them and has a plan for their life. And then he says, fulfill your ministry. Literally, finish, Timothy, what you started. Too often, we can start something in our life and never see it through, never finish it, never complete it. Paul's saying to Timothy, Timothy, you started on this pathway with God. God wants you on this path. You need to finish what you started. Don't give up, Timothy. I know it's hard. I'm not minimizing what you're going through, Timothy. Not at all. I know that there were many times probably where Paul, especially early on, maybe he felt like giving up, but he learned to stay the course because he learned to make his passion 
his values, his priorities, not about this life, but about the life to come. Because Paul says in verse 6, I'm already being poured out as an offering. He goes back to the Old Testament where several times God would prescribe sacrifices like bulls and and heifers and oxes also uh, being offered a drink offering on top of it. And here's something significant as a little aside here. The drink offering that Paul's alluding to that is sort of a picture of his life was always offered on a greater sacrifice. In other words, a drink offering was never offered alone. It never stood alone. Always there was, again, some other burnt sacrifice that was being offered. And then the priest would come with the wine and literally completely empty. And and the wine would be completely not only empty, but consumed over the greater sacrifice. And I think one of the reasons why Paul uses that is he's reminding all of us as Christians that whatever sacrifice or sacrifices we think we are making in this life, Our sacrifice or sacrifices are only offered on top of Jesus Christ's greatest and greater sacrifice that he's already done. And I think the other reason why Paul's using this drink offering is because it should be a great picture of the Christian life. That again, the drink offering was completely emptied. Nothing was held back. There wasn't like half the wine was poured out and the other half was kept. It was all emptied out and it was all completely consumed upon the other sacrifice. No wonder Paul told the Romans, I beseech you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your body a living sacrifice to God. Knowing that whatever, again, sacrifice we lay down is just being laid down on the greatest sacrifice of all, Jesus Christ. Do we look at our life as a drink offering? Or as Jesus said, are you seeking to save your life here? Remember what Jesus said? He said, if you seek to save your life here, you're going to end up losing it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll have real life. And I think that's what Paul's saying he learned to do. He learned to look past, again, all the pain, the suffering, the persecution, the, the, all that he went through as an apostle. The beatings, the stonings, being thrown in jail. He looked past all of that to the greater reward that one day was coming rather than to get caught up in what was happening just in this life. I am already being poured out as an offering and the time for me to depart is at hand. And notice how he even pictures death. He pictures death the way every Christian should picture death. It's just a departure. Literally. In the Greek, it's about loosening the tent pegs or the tent stakes and taking my tent and pitching it somewhere else, which certainly would have been something Paul knew a lot about because he was also a tent maker. He obviously took his tent up and pitched it other places. And Paul's simply saying, when I finally die, that's what it's going to be. I'm just picking up my tent here and I'm placing it up there for all of eternity. This was also a nautical term used for ships or boats that were tied to a dock here. Then they, the, the ropes were unloosed and the, the boat was taken to some other dock and the boats were tied. Paul's simply saying that's the way every Christian should look at death. We're simply, we don't cease to exist. We're simply departing from this earth and we're going to be with Jesus 
Paul even said to the Corinthians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And the book of Psalms says, in the Lord's presence is fullness of joy. So Paul says, Timothy, I, I have no reservations. As long as God wants to use me and can use me and all of that, I'm here. But even he told the Philippians, if I had my choice, I'd rather depart and be with Christ, which is far better. And he knows the time for him to depart and be with Christ is at hand. And here's what he says. I have competed well. The words mean to strain every nerve toward a goal. Wow. Can that describe the way we're living our Christian life? Are we literally straining every nerve toward a goal? And remember what Paul's goal was. He told this to the Philippians. Here's my goal in life, Paul told the Philippians. To know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable to his death. That was Paul's goal in life, to know Jesus Christ better. And Paul said, I strained every nerve towards that goal. Secondly, Paul says, I have finished the race. Literally, I stayed the course. I kept in my running lane, as we talked about last week. I didn't deviate. I didn't get distracted. I didn't get off course. And then he says, I kept the faith. The faith here isn't the act of believing. Here, the faith with the definite article, the, is the body of truth that God has given to Christians. That's why Jude says, defend the faith that was once for all delivered unto the saints. Jude verse 3. Because it is this body of truth that we need to keep our eyes on as a guide in order to finish the race well and stay on course. That's why the psalmist says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's all Paul's saying here when he says, I kept the faith. I kept consulting. It was like a compass that I never had out of my hands. I kept looking at the word of God as my guide to get me through and navigate life and to keep me on track. So that the choices and decisions and priorities of my life always reflected the world to come rather than this life. And then he says this, with great confidence, by the way. Have you noticed this, verse 8? He doesn't say, well, maybe there's a crown up there. I'm not sure. I think I might get something. No, Paul doesn't say that, does he? No. He says, finally, I love this. The word means just ahead. Paul's like, just ahead. I can can almost taste it. I can almost touch it. Finally, the crown or reward of victory of righteousness is reserved for me. Literally, God has set it aside for safekeeping. And the Lord, the righteous judge, may award it to me. Now, that's not what Paul says, does he? Will award it to me in that day. In other words, you can be sure that whatever sacrifices you and I make, however we live our life for Christ down here, one day we will be rewarded. We will be honored. We will be given what is due. We're not going to necessarily get all we think we should down here on earth. 
But that's where Christians start to get off track, is when they start living their life for Christ here, and somehow life on earth doesn't work out the way I think it should. Well, is that because you're focused on this life? And somehow you think that the Bible taught you that if you just were this great committed Christian, like everything on earth would work out rather than setting your hope completely on the grace that will be revealed when Jesus Christ comes. And see, that's why Christians get disillusioned. That's why they get distracted. That's why they, even if they were honest, get disappointed in God and in this Christian life. Because somehow they've gotten their eyes off the world to come and got it on this life. And when this life doesn't work out for them, when they are so committed to Christ, somehow it's like, well, then it's not worth it. And they walk away from God. They walk away from his truth. They walk away from God's people. And Paul's simply saying to Timothy and to all of us who follow, it's not the way we're going to stay the course. That's not the way we're going to finish well. How do we do it? Here's what Paul says. The Lord, the righteous judge, will award it to me in that day and not to me only. That's a good phrase because that means you and I can be included in this. See, But also to all who have set their affection on his appearing. Don't miss what Paul said. By using the words loving his appearing in your translation or set affection on, here's what Paul's saying. Our passion is the world to come. That's where our value lies. That's our focus. That's our interest. Not this world. Not this life. Go back to Moses. How could he choose, choose to give up all that Egypt had for him and to be ill-treated and live in want for the rest of his life, not having very much materially that this world could offer him. How could he choose that? Because he wasn't living for this life. He was looking to the life of eternity to come. And Paul makes an interesting point here by using the words setting your affection on, or loving his appearing. It is a word of passion. It is a word of emotion. And Paul's making a really good point. I want you to think about what I'm about to say. What we embrace emotionally each day will ultimately determine our destiny. Think about it. What you and I embrace emotionally each day will eventually and ultimately determine our destiny. Now, you all know me well enough to know I'm not saying it's all about feelings and how we feel. Because obviously, I'm one that believes very much in we've got to get people grounded in the truth. But what we can't do as Christians either is separate the truth of God from the feelings and emotions that should result from a personal relationship with God. Hope you're tracking with me. Let me give you some verses. That's why the greatest commandment is 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love, whether we like it or not, is not just an act of the will. It also carries with it affections and emotions and feelings. That's why Jesus taught, where your treasure is, there will your, what? Heart be also. Because what we emotionally embrace, that's what we're really going to live for. That's what's really going to be the value and priority of our life. If we don't have any feelings for it, then it's not going to be very important to us. And that's why God says to even his people, you can know me in some level up here in your head. But if this relationship with me never grips your heart, if there's no emotion and feeling for me in your Christian life, then I will be a low priority to you. Because there will be other things of this world that you get more emotionally attached to and that you embrace emotionally more than me. And then it becomes about this life rather than the life to come. And that's why Paul uses the phrase that not only to me only, Timothy, but unto all who have set their affection on his appearing and the life to come. That's really where our passion is. That's where our priorities are. That's where our interest is in. And see, when that happens, then it won't be any problem to invest in eternity. It won't be any problem to lay up treasure in heaven, as Jesus said, rather than on the earth. Because this earth and what we can accumulate and, and what, how you know, we can climb the ladder and all the power and position of this world will not matter as much as eternity for us. That's what matters most. Living eternally in the presence of God to serve and worship Him. What a great passage. And remember, this isn't coming from a Christian who's 30 years old, hasn't really had any life experience, hasn't went through any hard times. This is coming from the Apostle Paul, who probably suffered as much as anyone ever did for the cause of Jesus Christ. And he's about ready to go out into eternity. And he doesn't look back and go, boy, do I regret giving my all for Jesus Christ. I wish I would have been less committed to Jesus. I wish I would have lived more for me. I wish I would have accumulated more on this earth. I wish I would have had a bigger house. And I wish I would have had five cars in the driveway. And I wish I could have just, you know, had all this stuff. No, it's just the opposite. Paul's basically telling Timothy, you know what, Timothy? I wouldn't change a thing. I'd go through it all again. Because as one who's about ready to close their eyes in death and head on into eternity and depart and pitch their tent up there, Paul says, it's all worth it. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. If we want to finish well, we want to finish strong. If we want to stay the course, 
then Paul tells us we've got to live every day in light of eternity. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us such a great reminder because, Lord, even as your people, we can get so distracted and so caught up in this world. No wonder John writes in 1 John to Christians, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for all that is in the world is passing away. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. God, help us to learn to detach ourselves from what the earth and this world can offer us. And help us, Lord, to be gripped by you and what is to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be the center of our lives Be the place we fix our eyes Be the center of our lives Oh Christ Be the center of our lives Be the place we fix our eyes Be the center of our You're the center of the universe, everything was made in you, Jesus, breath of every living thing, everyone was made for you, you hold everything together, you hold everything together. the center of our lives, be the place we fix our eyes, be the center of our lives. Oh Christ, be the center of our lives, be the place we fix our eyes, be the center of our lives.
Yeah. 